and welcome back to Regionally Speaking with your host, Dee Dotson. Project Outreach and Prevention, or POP, on Youth Violence LLC is an organization on a mission to save lives by creating and maintaining gun violence prevention programming for youth in neighborhoods in greater Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana. Also known as POP, the organization hosts events, workshops and trainings, tours, as well as provide youth mentorship. Joining us now is Michael McGee, MD, an emergency room doctor at Methodist Hospital Northlake Campus, as well as the founder of the organization. POP is hosting two fundraising events to help continue the mission of enriching the lives of young people affected by senseless gun violence. So, Dr. McGee, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thank you so very much, Dee. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Dr. McGee, I read your resume, and I must say that it is quite impressive. The work that you do serving on various committees and organizations is commendable. Now, before we share information about an exciting opportunity to support your organization via two fundraising events that you're hosting this Saturday, take a moment to tell our listening audience a little bit about yourself. Well, I, um, I'm an ER doc. I from Gary, Indiana, born and raised, a single-parent mom. Grew up in almost every project in Gary until my mother became a nurse. She had me at age 19. I was going to go to medical school, but then got pregnant and then became a nurse and finished from Indiana University. So, yeah, I grew up pretty, pretty, uh, in a pretty uh, rough area. At that time, back then, I used to get into all kinds of trouble, and I would fight a lot. And for me, I was more altruistic even at that time. I cared about people, so I would take care of the bullies would be fighting the, the kids who were younger or mm. or smaller because uh, I, I, I got pretty good at doing that. And so I eventually went on, finished up. I was very good in sports. I played football in high school at Lou Wallace and ended up going to Purdue, majoring in engineering initially and then switched over to biology and psychology. And I finished from Purdue and then got my master's in public health. I received a master's in public health from the University of Illinois, particularly in epidemiology and biostats, where I look at the numbers. And I had a particular interest in violence even at that time. And so I then went to Rush Medical College and then did my residency and training at NYU uh, Bellevue in New York. And my first job was at Emory and Grady in Atlanta. And sadly, within the day of starting my job at Emory, I found out that my mother had terminal ill uterine cancer that was hidden in the fibroid. And she was 57 at the time. And she was supposed to have a year to live, and she died within three months. And so I came back to Indiana to really take care of my grandmother, who was 94 at the time, who my mother was taking care of in our house. I moved back and started working at Methodist. And when I moved back, I said, look, I can't just be a regular physician. I got to do more. And so I eventually started my program, POP, Project Outreach and Prevention on Youth Violence, back in 2008. And here we are now, doing some amazing things in Northwest Indiana and Chicago. Dr. McGee, I was scrolling through your website, and I noticed that the POP vision statement says, quote, the foundation seeks to provide outreach services, educational seminars, as well as college and career readiness opportunities. It goes on to say, we encourage healthy lifestyle choices by working with active community partners to create a safe, fulfilling, and academically enriching environment. Now, I must say that covers a lot of ground. How did you establish this vision? And to that point, how do all of these activities fit together? Well, I mean, the main purpose of, of POP is to try to prevent and alleviate youth violence. 
while providing healthy careers and different life choices. We try to combine all that. So we try to talk to youth about the inherent epidemic of violence that they're now experiencing and have been experiencing, but also try to give them career goals and behaviors that are more positive and try to steer them away from things that are negative, such as alcohol, drinking, drugs, you know, vaping and bullying and all the things that are counterproductive for youth to achieve success. And so we have four pillars with POP. These four pillars include violence awareness, where we go out and talk to youth not only in Northwest City and Chicago about violence and epidemic, but we also give statistics about it. For instance, the number one killer, a young black man aged 10 to now 34, is homicide. It's also the number two killer for Hispanic men. And also, just from the data that I've collected over the years, we now know that, according to FBI homicide data, the main reason why so many black men are being shot or killed from gun violence is not from gangs. That's number two. It's from altercations. And then they have access to guns. So people are now getting into fights, getting into arguments. Then you have whole groups of people shooting at each other. Then you have people dying unnecessarily. So all that can be prevented uh, if we can get the right messaging out. The second pillar that we have is just prevention. And we've researched best practice for preventing violence in schools, and that's a program called SAVE, Students Against Violence Everywhere, as well as Sandy Hook Promise. They all work together. And we have been starting SAVE programs in multiple schools in our network in Northwest Indiana and Chicago. Uh, we also teach Boston's life skills, where you teach kids how to manage their emotions and have empathy and do all the things that are important for social-emotional learning, which is a hot tag that schools are trying to use to, to get kids to feel their emotions and to have empathy for others and to not bully, fight, do the things that are destructive. And then quickly, the last two things we do is health awareness, where we try to get young black and brown students in ninth through 12th grade to go into the medical field, particularly physicians, nurses, dentistry. And we just recently added law and law enforcement as well. And then the fourth, which was the most elusive and most expensive, is intervention. And so we were blessed to get a federal grant with the Department of Justice two years ago, where we're now in the schools in four different cities, in Gary, uh, Maryville, Hammond, and East Chicago. And I have educators who go and teach students Boskin's life skills, where they learn how to manage their emotions and stay away from alcohol and drugs and do positive things. But we also provide counseling for kids who are higher risk with emotional behaviors from violence. And then we just recently started a program called High Risk Outreach, which I'm most proud of, where we're working with young men in Lake County Juvenile Detention Center who are on probation with gun charges. And it's a 10-week program where now, from the work that we've been doing and the sessions we've been having, these kids are now going to be getting their probation time reduced. And now we're thinking that we're making some huge success stories from that. So that's been important. All those kind of things take money. Our grant is for three years, and it's allowing us to do other community activities like what we're going to be discussing on November 4th, which is having an event with police where, you know, our grant and our grant, we basically advocated that we have to do better work with policing and community. So we bring in community together with police to, to let youth know that the police are, are there for you, and we want them to not fear the police. So what better way than to see police playing basketball or doing fun stuff like what we're planning? Mm-hmm. We're also planning information being given out on safe gun storage. As you guys know, there are 4.6 million guns in our country, and they're all most of them are, are not locked, and they're loaded, and kids know where they are. So we've had increasing kids you know, pulling triggers and shooting themselves or others. 
unintentionally. So we're messaging that let's save a, save a life for, for the holidays. And we're having a gun turning program on November 17th and 18th in four different cities with four different police departments. So we're excited about what we're doing and the things that we're offering from our organization, which has expanded its scope to do more things that are worthy for communities. The POP website lists yourself along with Dr. Ruben Rutland as co-founders. Now I'm sure as ER doctors, you've seen more trauma than most people can even imagine. When did you start your organization, POP, and what moved two doctors, two young doctors, wait, two young African-American doctors to take on the challenge of helping to end gun violence in our communities? Yeah, so you're right. So yeah, when I when I moved back, 2008, I was in the ER, and a, a young black male came in in his football pass from Roosevelt High School after he had just gotten shot three times. And his story was that he had gotten into a fight or altercation with someone. And then when the guy saw him on a football field, he could not could not maintain his impulses. He drove back around, got out of his vehicle, and shot at this young man while on a football field. So luckily, the, foot, the young man had some injuries that were not life-threatening, and he lived. But just the thought of that. And so now at that time, it was at a time when Methodist was trying to become a designated trauma center. And at that time, I was on the committee on trauma down in Indianapolis to try to advocate for trauma designation. And so as a designated trauma center, you have to do outreach and prevention. Most hospitals use blunt trauma to educate people about helmets and wearing their seatbelts. But because in Gary, we saw so much penetrating injuries, which is gunshots and stab wounds, we decided to focus on a cohort of youth that we can reach out to and hopefully prevent. So I partnered with Dr. Rutland. At that time, I was the chief of the ER. He was the chief of trauma. We're both from Gary. We both are in the same fraternity, Kappa Alpha Psi. And we both came back to Gary to make it a better place. And so we both started a program called POP, Project Outreach Prevention. And this was in, at this time, this was in 2016. And at that time, we became incorporated under a 501c3 to make it more legitimate and to be able to fundraise and do the things we needed to survive. So we started basically going out, talking to youth about violence and having webinars and seminars to youth and also parents. And it was very successful. We even expanded our programs to just Northwest Indiana and Chicago. And then, of course, we were doing quite well. We had youth in the schools who were, who were our SAVE ambassadors. Then they all graduated, and then COVID hit. So we had to take a hiatus. But now we are back, and we are thriving, and we hope to make a lot of difference in what's going on in, in our society. We're speaking with Dr. Michael McGee, MD, founder of Project Outreach and Prevention, POP, on Youth Violence, LLC. Okay, Dr. McGee, in our time together thus far, you have shared your experiences as an ER doctor, including the number of trauma patients you encounter. But I want to shift our conversation for a moment and shine a light on the positives of the work you do with your organization, Project Outreach and Prevention on Youth Violence. And you have a lot of success stories with the work you do with your organization. So so share a couple of those success stories with us, if you will. I mean, overall, our, our whole story has been a success. We've opened up a lot of eyes and ears about the, the, the epidemic of violence. We brought knowledge to the impact and health disparities of, of violence upon Black and Hispanic communities. And so even now, I think some of my proudest accomplishments right now is me being the national chair of three organizations, which is one, the National Medical Association. These are all the Black doctors all over the country. So I'm doing programming 
in coming out with action items for that group. They just appointed me to be a part of the American Medical Association Trauma Task Force. So we're coming out with ideas to help not just individuals, but populations of people all over the country, because this is just not a Chicago or Gary thing with this violence. It's nationwide. It's all over the country. It's not just inner city. It's in suburban areas. Anybody who has access to a gun can be the next shooter. And that's the messaging we have to get out, that there are so many people out here easily triggered, no pun intended, and they don't know how to manage their emotions. And so it's a huge problem. And so we're basically trying to let those people be aware. The other two organizations that I'm proud of are the American College of Physicians. These are all the 40,000 ER docs all over the country. And then the last is the National 100 Black Men of America. This is a, a mentoring organization that caters to young black men, junior high all the way to adulthood. And we're doing programming for them. Just in terms of personal success stories for individuals that have been through my organization, I always mention John Terrell Bowles, who's a young man who was at 21st Century, who uh, him and his family were homeless for a while. He grew up in the system. He was, you know, in, out uh, on detention and was used to get into a lot of trouble. He had an interest in becoming a physician. We took him under our wings. He was in all of our programs. He was our faith president at 21st Century. And now that young man, although he did not go into the medical field, he went to University of Virginia, where he actually had me to come down and do a big talk about violence to the students there, but then went on to get his master's degree in hospital administration. So that's a huge success story of a young man. Wow. And currently, right now, we're very proud of our high-risk outreach program, which, we just, which I just recently created. It's a program that's designed to target young, high-risk young men with gun charges. And right now we have nine young men who all have guns, who all were caught with guns. Two of them had guns in their schools. One of them had two guns on them. And they are in our program. And it's a 10-week program where we have multiple speakers coming in from the University of Chicago and young men who were in jail and prison who come and give testimonies. And we do some amazing discussions and interact with them. We teach them all how to stop the bleed. We just got back from the morgue and the ER this past Sunday. They're going to the jail next week. They've been at some of our events where now they're wearing our orange shirts and they're, they're doing community service. And these young men have changed right before our eyes. Their parents have talked about how, how great they're doing. Some of them are being released early from probation. And to me, it's almost a form of criminal justice reform where now we, we're, we're not letting a, another group of young black men go into a system that can make them not be prepared. We're giving them life tools to make them into better products so that they can become successful and achieve what they want to achieve in life. So we're very proud about that. And we're about to start our next cohort of young men in January, which will be actually 12 young men who all have gun charges. will be going through our program for 10 weeks. So, yeah, these are the things that if we can make this into a best practice in terms of preventing young black men and Hispanic men from going to jail or, or hurting someone because they have guns and are potentially could be a next shooter, then we want to we want to expound this program and have it so that it can be used in every city that have the same kind of problems. We just want to provide that blueprint for them. Okay, so you touched on this a bit a moment ago, but I want to ask you this directly. What do you think would be the best possible outcome from the work you do with the young people? Man, that's truly a loaded question. If we if I can have my way I would love to have more unity, more tolerance, more forgiveness, and more love for all of our young, young black and brown community population. Right now, it's, it's disheartening to see 
kids on Halloween, right? Halloween, mm-hmm. where you celebrate. Mm-hmm. We have multiple mass shootings in multiple different cities. A mass shooting is not just a, a young man going into a school and shooting 20 people with a long-armed gun. Usually that gentleman is usually, or woman, is usually have mental health illness. So what we're seeing are people who don't have mental health illness. People always want to put people to have guns who are shooting people to have mental health illness. That's not true, right? Because people who have mental health illness mm-hmm. kill themselves. Mm-hmm. That's why suicide is so much higher. Right now, the young people who are shooting each other don't know how to cope. They don't have, know how to resolve conflict. They don't have social emotional learning where they empathize with others. They look at each person as a, as a video game and they're quick to shoot and they have access. And so if we could curve the age where these young people are getting their guns instead of decreasing the ages down to 18, well, we all know that your brain is not even developed until you're 25 and you, 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 you're making these impulses and, and have all these, these, these red flags, and yet now you have access to a gun. We can change the age that we can now get people to think about what they do before they act, to, to resolve conflict, to take six seconds before you pull your gun out. Then I would love to have that. I would love to see more, more kids living, to have a full life and family and achieve their goals. That would be my, my dream. Is, is a place where we now can get back to where we all truly care about each other. We're not marching not only when a, a young black man is shot by a police, but we're marching when the next black man is shot by the next black man. I think we got to really show these kids that we love them, we care about them. And that's what Pop is trying to do. We're trying to create a culture to let these youth know, hey, we care about your actions, and we want you to take responsibility for your actions. That's basically our, our messaging. And our, our slogan for Pop is not one more life, one more day. And that can be from dying from guns, dying from suicide, dying from STIs, but also going to jail. Going to jail long term is a, is, a, is a slow death for these young black men. So our slogan is, is the right slogan in terms of it encompasses all of that. Not one more life, one more day. We're speaking with Dr. Michael McGee, MD, founder of Project Outreach and Prevention, POP, on Youth Violence, LLC. Dr. McGee, at the start of our conversation, I noted that you have two major fundraisers this Saturday, the basketball tournament featuring public safety teams and first responders, as well as the blackout party later on that evening. Tell us more about the big weekend for your organization, beginning with the basketball tournament, as well as share how anyone listening can get tickets. Well, Dee, we call it a fundraiser, but as of right now, it's not even really a fundraiser, right? So we're doing this, this great, this nice basketball game between police and fire. Again, we want youth and parents to see police and firemen in a different light, out playing basketball, having fun. We've already gotten commitments from Senator Eddie Melton to come and say some remarks, as well as the county prosecutor, Bernard Carter, who are both coming in to say some words. We also have peace activists. Andrew Holmes from Chicago, who lost his daughter to gun violence and just recently had his 16-year-old grandson to get shot at a Halloween party just two days ago in the leg, who we're praying for, who's, who had to go to surgery. Uh, and this gentleman is out spreading the word about violence and gun violence and, and giving out gun locks. And so at our event, we're going to have speakers, we're going to have youth to perform, but we're also going to have flyers basically uh, telling parents to store your guns to lock your guns and to have safe storage and protect your guns, even when you're in the car. Don't leave it out because kids can grab it and you can undo that moment when you hear a lot bang and your child is dead from being shot in the head, which has happened just recently this August. 
We're also uh, advocating for everyone to come to our gun turning program November 17th to the 18th. And one reason why I say it's not really a fundraiser, because right now we're incentivizing youth to come with parents. And any kid that shows up with a parent that has a school ID will get in free. So, yes, kids come all ages. It'll be free for you as long as you bring a parent or guardian and have your school ID from all and any schools. So we're really trying to really express that. It's not a moneymaker for us. We want to get them there so they can hear the messaging that we're trying to provide in terms of saving a life for Christmas. And then afterwards, we have an after set. You can drop the kids back off. We're doing a blackout party. And this is an adult thing. And the idea is blackout on youth violence. We want adults to come together in a safe way. Because at the same events where our youth are at, they're adults at, at parties and events where they're getting into fights and people are being shot. So in a space where we're going to have a bunch of policemen and firemen, we're calling it the hottest and safest and smartest party. Because we're, we're basically doing an appreciation for police to represent safety, for firemen to represent fire, and smartness because we're really highlighting teachers and the amazing work that they do with our youth in these schools in these troubled times. So both events, the basketball event is from 11 to 3 at Westside Leadership Academy, $10 for adult, and free for any kid who comes with a parent or adult. Otherwise, it's $5 for that child. And for the blackout party, it's at Marquette Pavilion. It's from 7 to 12 a.m. It's $15, early bird special, and $30 at the door. You can easily go to Eventbrite and look up POP, P-O-P, blackout party. Or you can go to our website, which is www.poponviolence.org. We have a landing page there. Anybody can go there and purchase their tickets and, and find out more information about each event. So www poponviolence.org. Finally, Dr. McGee, we have just about a minute or so left, and I have to share with you that I believe that the work that you're doing through your organization, POP, is quite admirable and much needed in greater Chicago land in Northwest Indiana. For anyone that may be listening right now that may not be able to attend the basketball tournament or the blackout party, but they would still like to support your organization, how can they do so? Yes, we love that. We have not had a fundraiser since 2019, and we are struggling. So please go to that same website, www.poponviolence.org. You can easily scroll down. You can go to the event page. You can go to the Eventbrite. You can either buy your ticket or there's a donation button that you can click. And we accept $5. We accept $2. Whatever you can give us, we greatly appreciate Dr. Michael McGee is the founder of Project Outreach and Prevention, POP, on Youth Violence, LLC. Dr. McGee, I I really and truly thank you for spending time with us today on Regionally Speaking. Thank you so much, Dee. It's been wonderful. Appreciate everything that you guys do. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. 66% of Americans state their financial planning needs improvement, and that's up 4% from last year. If you're in that category, no worries. October is Financial Planning Month, a time dedicated to not only raising awareness to the importance of planning your financial future, but also to encourage you to take action. Do you already have a plan in place? Well, if yes, don't turn the dial just yet. Joining us now is Northwest Indiana financial planner Greg Hammer, who states that as your life changes, Your financial plan needs revisiting to reflect those changes. 
And since the week of October 15th is specifically designated as National Retirement Security Week, Greg is going to give us a tip on retirement saving, too. So, Greg, as always, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Thanks for having me, Dee. Absolutely. So, Greg, no matter what financial topic we discuss, you often mention the importance of financial planning. And October is National Financial Planning Awareness Month. Now, I'm sure a financial plan is much more detailed than we initially think. But let's start with the basics. What is a financial plan? Yeah, sure, Dee. Um, You know, a financial plan is something where you specify um, your dreams, your objectives, your goals, um, and then using your current resources, you know, your current financial house. And it should include strategies, you know, specific steps that you'll take to make those dreams a reality. You know, as the saying goes, you know, life happens when you're making other plans. And and part of your planning should also include contingency plans, you know, for unexpected things like a forced retirement. So it's smart to create a financial plan, but I believe it's even a bigger game changer when you develop a holistic plan where instead of, you know, working in silos in different areas, you have a more collective, cohesive process that, you know, is considering all areas of your of your plan moving forward. Okay, Greg, before we go on, can you describe to our listeners what is a holistic financial plan? Yeah, so I mean, a holistic plan looks at the entire situation, the entire financial house and assesses everything. So most people look at it from a wealth management standpoint, you know, like retirement accounts and investments, but it should also be tax strategies, healthcare, estate planning, you know, the debt that you have in terms of, you know, what my lifestyle income need is and adjusting for things, you know, like inflation and absolute everything, you know, identify the financial gaps in your portfolio so you can fill in those gaps and then ensure that those assets and strategies are working in synergy. And when you understand how decisions in one area impact the other, it generally will result in creating more wealth now and also in retirement and create a lot more efficiency. So let's discuss who actually needs a financial plan. So remember, Dee, the main objective of a financial plan is to keep you on track with your goals, you know, and this is being done while you're building a nest egg for retirement. So often a misconception is only wealthy people need a financial plan, but that's not the case. Everyone's circumstances are different. So a solid financial plan will use, you know, your current situation and should include solutions to help you specifically reach your goals, whether it's uh, to get out of debt or manage a complex estate, that plan will help you get organized and and create the, the, the plan to resolve those issues. So no matter where you are financially, when you have a plan in place, it could reduce stress surrounding money um, and give you clarity as to how things will unfold, especially if the market's volatile and you're nearing retirement. You know, what is the plan we have in place um, to protect us from those types of things and uh, avoid making emotional panic decisions that could uh, derail the plan? That's actually great advice. Now, let me ask Greg, what should someone include in their financial plan? Well, for sure, you know, I hate the word budget, but you should understand at least what your, I call it a lifestyle need, right? You know, what is it between what I have coming in versus what it takes for me to not only pay bills, but eliminate debt and plan for large financial purchases and things that you know are going to happen. And that should include travel. It should include fun. You know, paying off a house. If there's children and you have to worry about college, you know, future health expenses. 
you know, tax strategies. So a retirement plan and an estate plan. So you want to have all of that type of stuff when you're talking about the financial plan. And your plan can start small and evolve with each phase of your life. So don't let it become overbearing. You know, start simple and continue to build on it and seek guidance when it's necessary. Great, great. Now, after listening to you, Greg, I'm sure that we can all agree that developing a financial plan is important. And a lot of people listening to this segment will say to themselves, you know what, this weekend I'll develop a plan. I'll sit down with my family and develop a plan or I'll contact a financial advisor like you in the next few days. But then life gets busy and we keep putting it off and putting it on the back burner. Now, as a financial advisor, what do you see that others don't see? Well, you know, D, you know, listeners can look at their current situation, you know, whether they're a student, whether they're newly married, maybe they're, you know, very successful in their careers, you know, in a company, or if there's someone starting to think about retiring. But when you're in that situation of your uh, life and the things that are going on, it's often hard to see different things that could provide benefit. You know, five years from now, the student might not be working long hours at their job. The young couple might have children juggling work with parenting responsibilities. Maybe there's promotions at work and the responsibilities are there get you know, are higher. Um, maybe there's pre-retirees are, are ready to retire. So it's it's looking forward instead of just within the context of what's going on day to day because time flies by. So whether you have a financial plan or not, there are some financial moves you want to make early so you can take advantage of things like compound interest, the current tax brackets, which are due to sunset, how to claim Social Security, and what's the best way to do it, and, you know, changing you know, objectives at certain points in times with risk tolerance. The point is, you either have to develop a financial plan as soon as possible or revisit your existing plan to make sure that you're on target to reach your goals and continue to evolve that. So in the moment, it's often hard to, to see where those adjustments need to be made and to be quite honest, where the opportunities lie. You know, specifically when we talk to people, they don't know if a Roth conversion, as an example, could be advantageous. They don't know what type of strategies they should look at or where to make their contributions to their 401k. So just gaining a little bit more knowledge about those different options can often provide better insight and better information, which results in usually better decisions and better outcome. Time really does fly by. Now, Greg, you also recommend writing your financial plan. Why do you recommend that? Well, it's just the statistic. You know, 52% of households with written financial plans save 10% or more of their income versus 36% of households that have unwritten financial plans. So taking the time to actually put it in words kind of instills it a little bit more and just creates better outcomes. So that's what we usually recommend is getting detailed. You know, what are the specific things you are uh, want? And if you're not sure how to do it, that's where working with a planner can bring a lot of value. Now, Greg, this week is National Retirement Security Week, and no pressure, but can you give listeners at least one actionable tip? Sure. So many people are saving, you know, for retirement through like a 401k or an IRA, but don't realize that making your money last through retirement is equally important. So for those who haven't started saving for retirement, start today using your most tax advantage retirement account, you know, whether it be your 401k at work, especially if there's matching or potentially a Roth 401k. And for those that have been saving, 
for retirement and are maybe five years from retirement, consult with somebody that can give you um, better insight and help you through retirement so that um, you don't understand or so you don't run out of money and you understand some of the risks that are out there like sequence risk and how to mitigate taxes to be able to keep more of what it is that you've spent your entire lifetime accumulating. Great. Again, you've shared a lot of information, but do you have any final words? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if you, if you, if you go through the exercise and process of developing a financial plan, you'll find it's really one of the best gives you, gifts you can give yourself and and, and because everyone at every stage of life and every income level can benefit. And if you're, even if you're married or have children, just the peace of mind for those family members around you, because it just, you gain a lot of clarity. And what we often find is people move into retirement with so much uncertainty that they're afraid to enjoy it because they don't have the what ifs answered. So creating this plan often um, gives you the permission to spend some of your money and enjoy your retirement in the years when physically you're still able to and want to. So that's probably one of the biggest advantages is 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 allowing you to understand what you know what you can or can't do moving forward. Greg Hammer is the president and CEO of Hammer Financial Group, located in Sherrillville. Greg, it's always a joy having you with us because each month you provide us with great tips and tools to help us all with our financial planning. And so I thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking, and I look forward to chatting with you next month. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Dee. For more information about Hammer Financial Group, visit www.hammerfinancial.com. You're listening to Regionally Speaking on listener-supported Lakeshore Public Media. Tearing down posters of kidnapped Israeli children, death threats sent to Jewish schools and students, swastikas spray-painted in public spaces. I won't wear my Star of David outside for fear of danger. It just feels dangerous. We look at the deep undercurrents driving the sharp, sudden rise in anti-Semitism in America. That's on the next On Point. Tune in for On Point daily at noon here on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM. As a local public broadcaster, your feedback is crucial to our organization. Where you're from, how you listen, what you listen to, and what you want to hear more of. We want to hear it all. Please visit lakeshorepublicmedia.org feedback and give us your input today. The latest data from the 2022 Indiana Youth Tobacco Survey reveals a significant decline in commercial tobacco use among Hoosier youth, marking the lowest levels in the past two decades. E-cigarette usage in particular has hit its lowest point since 2012. While these results are encouraging, there remain concerning trends, including the frequent use of e-cigarettes, flavored tobacco product consumption, and susceptibility to cigarette smoking and e-cigarette use. Tobacco-Free Indiana and Community Advocates of Northwest Indiana will host an all-day presentation and discussion of the 2022 Indiana Youth Tobacco Survey findings on Saturday, November 4th at the Dean and Barbara White Community Center in Maryville. The event will provide a platform for stakeholders, community leaders, and concerned citizens to gain insight into the survey results and share their perspectives on addressing youth tobacco use in our state. So we're bringing back our conversation with Irene Boone Phillips, Program Coordinator with the Lake County Community Tobacco Prevention and Cessation Coalition. Here's the conversation. 
Health advocates are raising the alarm that youth e-cigarette usage remains a serious problem and are urging the FDA to protect kids by eliminating all flavored cigarettes. The U.S. Surgeon General named youth vaping an epidemic in 2018. And the 2022 National Youth Tobacco Survey found that over 2.5 million kids still use e-cigarettes and 85% of them use flavored products. These harmful products deliver massive doses of nicotine, which can quickly addict kids. As students across the region finish the first month of the new school year, health and education advocates in the region are spreading awareness about this ongoing crisis, primarily driven by the widespread availability as well as the industry marketing of flavored e-cigarettes. Joining us now to provide practical tips for parents, caregivers, and educators to spot signs of e-cigarette use among kids, as well as talk with them about the serious health risks, is Irene Boone Phillips, Program Coordinator with Lake County Community Tobacco Prevention and Cessation Coalition, Franciscan Health Lead Agency. Irene, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity. Irene, a recent study published by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention shows that e-cigarette sales in the U.S. increased by 47% from January 2020 to December 2020, with that increase driven by flavored products popular with kids. And the U.S. Surgeon General has concluded that youth use of nicotine in any form, including e-cigarettes and vape pens, is unsafe. Nicotine is a highly addictive drug and can harm adolescent brain development, particularly the parts of the brain that are responsible for attention, memory, and learning. Irene, can you take a moment to unpack how the use of e-cigarettes and other tobacco products for that matter harm the health of young people right here in Northwest Indiana? Sure, absolutely. Um, the U.S. Surgeon General has concluded that youth use of nicotine in any form, including e-cigarettes, is unsafe. And I can say, as we all remember from the news, that one of the primary e-cigarette of choice by teens at the beginning of the vaping epidemic was Juul, which delivered nicotine at higher levels than any other e-cigarette. Now, free brace nicotine in the first generation of vapes was harsh on the throat, so manufacturers kept the nicotine dosages low. Now, the need to satisfy a nicotine addiction with more intensity, as with combustible cigarettes, led to the development of nicotine salt, and that is the combination of nicotine and organic acids, hmm. making nicotine less harsh to the throat and allowing more nicotine absorption per puff. Now, the most serious threat of nicotine addiction, particularly for teens, is that the brain is still developing. And we know that the brain develops until you're in your early 20s. Now, the earlier your brain is exposed to nicotine, the more likely you are to become highly addicted. This can potentially prime the brain for substance abuse issues, you know, in the future. The other concern is that the delivery and, you know, delivered in high doses, nicotine can be lethal. The um, Surgeon General reported wow. that contact with e-cigarettes can cause adverse health effects and ingesting um, e-cigarettes can lead to death. But I, I will add to the that, you know, because e-cigarettes are relatively new to the U.S., 
um, we have little research on um, all of the health effects. But what science research has shown us thus far is that metals are released from the coils and the vaping devices, such as lead, which can cause cognitive and cardiac problems. And in addition, scientists have detected metal particles that are related to Parkinson's and neurological problems. And there have been cases of serious lung disorders in teens. And some of those have led to severe incidences where lung transplants were required. But there's one more thing, too, that we also need to be concerned about is that um, added to all of the concerns that we have is the use of um, synthetic nicotine by some manufacturers of disposable vapes, which are currently very popular among teens, in addition to other substances being added to vapes like THC. Irene, as I listen to you share how the devastating effects that ingesting e-cigarettes can have on the entire physical body... And you point out research that to date has shown, sadly, that in addition to the nicotine, metals including lead, and we are all aware of the effects lead has on the human brain. Has the data about metals being ingested been widely shared? Yes, and these are the, um, some of the research that is, um, that's coming forth. Um, and again, you know, we have a lot of research, many years of research on cigarettes, and so because e-cigarettes are new to the U.S. market. You know, they've been around for maybe going on, I would say, maybe 10 years or so, close to 10 years, is that we don't have the research. And so, you know, the potential is there for a lot of harm to our youth when they are vaping. I think that one of the things that always sticks out for me is when you have our healthcare providers that say the only thing that's safe to pass through your lungs is air. So anything that you're heading into your lungs right. is not safe. We're speaking with Irene Boone Phillips, Program Coordinator with the Lake County Community Tobacco Prevention and Cessation Coalition, Franciscan Health Lead Agency. So Irene, at the start of our conversation, I mentioned that there is a myriad of e-cigarette flavors. So let's talk about how the flavors as well as the marketing campaigns that make e-cigarettes so appealing to Indiana youth. How can the FDA, the Hoosier State, and, and bringing it to a local level, organizations like yours in Northwest Indiana protect kids? We have to get behind the advocates and we have to insist that our municipalities our governing entities um, pass laws and, you know, set up regulations um, and measures to not only monitor these products, but also to put in ordinances and strong, comprehensive ordinances that are protecting our youth. We know that when we raise the prices of uh, tobacco and vape products, that that is a deterrent for our youth. We know that if we can monitor and if we can regulate the marketing of those products, then that is also another measure that has um, been proven to um, deter the use of products of, you know, cigarettes and vape products among youth. But getting behind our advocates and getting behind, um, you know, the push for strong and comprehensive 
smoke-free air policies that include e-cigarettes is one of the best ways that our communities and our municipalities can help protect our children. Now, you talked about communities, parents, loved ones, the entire village getting behind the efforts of organizations like yours. But let's spend a, a few minutes talking about the importance of talking to children, but how do you even broach this conversation with Indiana youth? I think that I'm always advocating that we start that conversation very young. Just like we talk to our kids about drugs and other substances, we need to talk to them about vape and, you know, tobacco and vaping as if we are talking to them about drugs because nicotine is an addictive drug. So you start early. We start early with age-appropriate conversations um, and, you know, we take a health approach and, you know, we talk to them very early on and we set those seeds for them to make healthy choices. When it comes down, and, and the problem with our teens is that it has been, they have been victim of the marketing of these products. And we know how marketing works. And so with all of the marketing that has taken place, our youth have started to experiment and use vape products not knowing anything about what they contained. So we really have to start, I would say start very young, start early on um, talking to our youth. We're speaking with Irene Bone Phillips, Program Coordinator with the Lake County Community Tobacco Prevention and Cessation Coalition, Franciscan Health Lead Agency. Irene, so we had a conversation offline, and in that conversation, you shared with me the vast number of vape pens that are available, and you pointed me to an article that showed a picture of one, one of the latest gadgets, which, ironically, just in time for back to school, looks just like a highlighter. Walk us through some of the most crafty and, dare I say, novel devices that are for sale right now. And to that point, you have already shared the importance of talking to kids about the risks of vaping and other tobacco products. But for many of us that may be unsure of how to broach the topic, how do we even start the conversation? Yes, um, absolutely. And to just kind of share some, you know, insights that we have on some of the products and everything. When we are monitoring and we're looking at some of the devices, we know, and just by the design of some of the, those devices, we can recognize that they are intended to be enticing to our youth. When you have little, they look like markers or, you know, look like little spinets and things. One of the things, if you recall, when the Jewel first came out, it looked like a flash drive. So no one really knew if you were not paying attention, right. uh, you would think that it was a flash drive. One of the newer items that we just came across is a highlighter. It looks just like a highlighter. Um, you would not know that it wasn't a highlighter until you look very closely. So that would be what I would recommend for parents, that parents should become aware of different shapes, things that look like toys, they look like little, you know, stress gadgets. But those devices that look like pins, either a pin, lip gloss, a compact, or like the highlighter. But if you look very closely, you would see that the name or the label where it's an unusual name or it is not like we all know, you know, there's 
Sharpies and, and other highlighters, um, if it's something that is unfamiliar, then you need to look very closely at it. There are a lot of resources that are available online where parents can go through and, you know, they can see how a lot of these devices look just like um, a lot of the things that you would normally find in your kid's backpack. But just looking very closely, again, you need to look at the, the name and the label, and then you can see where there might be a spelling that will be off or it might be called something different. Um, as a lip gloss. It might not be called a lip gloss. Um, so just looking at those titles and those names. Yeah. And are there other signs that parents should be aware of, like perhaps changes in attitudes and or behaviors? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, vaping negatively affects teens' attention, learning, and impulse control. So parents should pay attention to any behavioral changes and mood swings in their teens, which can be an indication that they are vaping. And also, because we are faced with the, the flavoring that's in vaping, so clothing and hair that smells like fruity or minty sprays, like they just took a bath and uh, a fruit or something, uh, can be a sign that vape products have been used. And you know what, as, as you were sharing that, I just had a thought, and I don't know how this escaped me, but Irene, in preparing for our conversation today, I did a lot of research, and I saw the story of one mom that intercepted a package that her high school student received in the mail. And in today's climate of online ordering, it's not really uncommon for households to receive multiple packages throughout the week. But for some reason, call it gut instinct, intuition, or whatever, this mother was led to open the package. And at first glance, she was unsure of what the contents of the package were. But after a quick internet search, she discovered that it was in fact a vape pen. So Irene, talk about how easy it is for region youth to order e-cigarettes and, and quite frankly, order all nicotine products, any, any nicotine product that they can think of. Yeah, you can go online and you can order a vape. The only thing that pops up when you are online uh, with some of the companies is, are you over 18? And you can you could just click and say yes, or over right. 21. We know that in Indiana, the, is we have a tobacco 21 law. So you have to be 21 in order to be able to purchase items. But yes, but online, you know, and that's one of the things that parents definitely need to pay very close attention to is the spending habits of their teens and being watchful of online purchases. But you're absolutely right. That is exactly how that gets into the hands of a lot of teens. And then on social media, there are a lot of things that happen on social media as well. And a lot of connections where, you know, just like you can order DoorDash or, you know, people can... Right. Uh, transfer and and order and have the delivery of these devices as well. It, it, it's frightening, but it is a call to action for all parents to be more aware of what their child is being exposed to. Now, Irene, your organization, Lake County Tobacco Prevention and Cessation Coalition, is here for the community. Where can we go to find additional information about your organization, as well as gain access to additional resources for teens addicted to e-cigarettes? Uh, yes, you can find information about our organization on our website, tobaccofreelcin.org. And the resources that are available for teens and parents as well can be found at quitnowindiana.com slash teens. 
or at in.gov slash vapefreeindiana. This is quitting.com. And then another site is teen.smokefree.gov. And you can always go to your pediatrician or your healthcare providers, and they will have information and resources as well. Irene Bone Phillips is the program coordinator with the Lake County Community Tobacco Prevention and Cessation Coalition Franciscan Health Lead Agency. Irene, again, thank you for joining us on Regionally Speaking, and I'm certain that we will speak again about this epidemic. Thank you again, Dee, and I look forward to the opportunity. And that's it for Regionally Speaking for this week. Thanks to our guest, Michael A. McGee, MD, founder of the organization Pop on Youth Violence, Irene Boone Phillips with Tobacco Free Indiana, and Greg Hammer with Hammer Financial Group. And we'll be back with you next week with an all-new show. <music>